a little late, but we could just wait for the coffee while we're seated. All right, let's go ahead and get started in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and God, amen. So I'm just uh, continuing the two-part uh, mini-series on identity. And, um, and we're going to be changing gears here. Uh, we went from observing uh, something that the world tells us to now how does Christ see us. Okay, so we spoke about how the world views us and feeds us a false sense of who we are. Now we are going to look at a completely different viewpoint in the lens of how God sees us. Okay, so we went from uh, a world's viewpoint to now Christ's viewpoint. Okay, it's going to be very different. We're going to go from a false self-identity to the true masterpiece identity of who we are. And then I even just changed two words. I just uh, flip-flopped them. I just kind of uh, changed them. We went from who am I, which is a question, to who I am, a statement. Okay? So we're going to be bold. We're going to be about this is who we are. It's not, no longer a question of what the world tells us. It's now a statement of what, what God is telling us. Okay? So who I am to who I am. And then... Um, if you look at the background photo, does anyone recognize that or seen that before? It's a tattoo on the back um, of a high prospect quarterback in the NFL. Uh, he was drafted uh, third overall in 2021, and his name is Trey Lance. Uh, he's very uh, popular. The youth know him very well. And here's what he has to say about his identity. And we touched on this in the first talk. Football is not who I am. It's what I do. I'm obviously going to put everything possible into it because that's what I love to do. But at the end of the day, I think God put that in my plan to use it as his platform. I'm just realizing that we're not put on earth to be football players or to be doctors or lawyers or whatever it is. My identity is not being a football player. It comes from something far greater that helps me stay grounded. And so if we're going into the viewpoint of Christ, we got to go into Scripture, which is the Word of God, if this works. Okay? And so we answered the question, what is identity? We gave the definition. We know identity is what you believe to be the truest thing about you what you believe to be the truest thing about you. And we came to the conclusion from John 1, 12 through 13. Thank you, John. That we are the child of God. Okay, we made that very clear. But then we're going to go a little bit deeper. Yeah, okay, I just want to make sure it works. Now the question is, when did we become the children of God? And what you're going to notice as we go in deeper and deeper into these questions, you'll see the beauty of our Father. you see how amazing our God is. Okay? And this passage I'm going to put up has a lot about our identity in this passage. So when do we become the children of God? 
before the foundation of the world. Okay? It states here, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestined, this is a very important word, us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. And I'm going to come back to that a lot. Good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. And there's three levels here I want to go over. The first one is who who chose who? He chose us. That gives us two huge implications. The first implication, it was his decision. He decided to put up, put us into existence. And the second one, why? Why bring us into existence? Love. We were, our causation of existence is by his love. And we see this. Where do we see this? In our children. How did our children come into existence? By the product of the love between one flesh. God gives us a little glimpse, a little taste of what that is, the product of love. And that is our existence. We came into existence because of the love of God. And so that tells us what? Tells us something else. What is our purpose? Is the same as our existence to love. We came into the world by God's love. We are to what? Reciprocate, to give love to the world. That's the whole point. We came in by love, we outpour by love. Okay? And the second one is when did he choose us? Before the foundation of the earth. We were already predestined to exist. Before creation even began. And that's why we were created on day six. It was all pre-planning for his masterpiece. For the crowning jewel. And that is, I am going to prepare all these things for you. And then I'm going to save the best for last. I'm going to create you at the end after I prepared all these things for you. But then there's something else in here that I really want to touch on. Predestined is defined as the following. Determine in advance by divine will. But what does God say about his will? Good pleasure of his will. That, that's huge. Because now that's saying something else. That's now saying, not only did I put you into existence out of my will, but it was my pleasure. I enjoyed it. It's what I wanted to do ever from the, from the very beginning. It was it, 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 like an excited child. I, I can't wait to create all these things. Like when a friend is going to come visit, I'm going to clean my room. I'm going to show them all around. That's what God did to us. I can't wait to create all these things for my children. I can't wait. He was excited. He was pleased. And then the last one is my favorite one. Accepted. How are we already accepted? We don't even exist yet. He says at the end there, he made us accepted into the beloved. How are we accepted into the beloved? What did we do to be accepted? Identity. Because you are my children, you are adopted as sons of Jesus Christ, you're already accepted. 
There's nothing you can do. No matter what you do in your life, you're already accepted, and I'm already pleased with you. Um, an example is you and your children, a parent and the child. Let's say God sent an angel to me, and, he, he, and the angel says, I have a laundry list. Right? They have a scroll, and it just rolls all over the floor like you see in the cartoons. Okay? And the angel says, before you have your first child, here are all the sins that your child is going to commit from birth to death, every single one of them. And the angel asks, do you still want to have your first child? Yes. I don't even have to look at the list. Of course. Why? Why would you want to have a child that that you know that they're going to commit all these sins? Because it's my child. It's my son. It's my daughter. It's a no-brainer. I know you're going to commit all these sins, but I don't care. Because what? You're me. You're my son. And then he has another list. And he tells, he talks about all the heartache, all the finance, all the burden that it's going to take out five years of your life to have this child. You're going to age five years faster, which we all can attest to that. Okay? You're going to have to work seven more years of your career. You're going to have gray hair early. And he's going to cause some baldness. So he has a list of all these things that your child is going to cause. Do you still want your child? And the angel's scratching his head. I, I, I think I know what he's going to answer. He's going to say, no, of course not. Yes, of course I am. Of course I am. Why? You're going to give up a life for yourself? For this child who's going to cause turmoil? Absolutely. That's my son. Absolutely. So I want to make sure we have this very clear. What is life for us? Is the love of our children. The child that I am going to have has more life in it than my own life. And that's what God did for us. I'd rather have these children that I know that's going to cause me to die, it's going to cause me to to be incarnate, to to change my plans, because, like what Abuna said earlier in the sermon, because they are my identity. We're bonded. We cannot be separated. That love can never be separated. So why does God make all these children? Why do we want children knowing the finance, the headache, all of these things? We sacrifice our own life because the love we have for our child is life. There's no greater life than that. Is the love between a parent and a child. The love between God and his children. Is it worth for him to come down and die? In his mind, absolutely. No brainer. Why? Because they're my children. No doubt about it. And then, hope this works. It'll pop up when it decides. The next question is, when do we receive our identity in Christ? And this is the beauty of the church, the sacraments, the mystery of baptism. We know that. 
But what we, I, I think we uh, kind of undermine, or we forget, I shouldn't say undermine, what we forget is in the, in the original church, in the early church, you know your baptism was your birthday. We would say, they would say happy birthday on the day they got baptized. Why? Because what's happening during that baptism? Transformation. And it's not the transformation we're thinking. It is what he, in his words, a new creation. What does that mean, a new creation? You are no longer yourself. You are now completely, fully dedicated to your, your creator, to your father. And you will live your life in the beloved. That's the baptism. The baptism is the greatest day of your life because it's no longer you. It is now him who lives in you. Okay? And we read, we read this in John 3 when, he was, when Nicodemus came to, to see the Messiah at night. And he asked and he said to Jesus, I know you must be from God because no one speaks this way. You must be a prophet. You're, 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 you're a speaker for the Lord. I know this. So what do I have to do? What, what do I do next? And remember who Nicodemus is. He's from the Sanhedrin. He's the equivalent of him being on the Supreme Court. He is a scholar. He is up there and teaching all the other, uh, all of Israel. He's one of the supreme teachers. And then Christ says, you who is a teacher of Israel do not know this? How do you not know what to do next? You must be born again. And he goes, and then he kind of jokes with Christ a little bit, but Christ stays straight face. He's not joking. He says, be born again. At my age, do you want me to go back into my mother's womb and be born again? And again, he says, you are the teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? And he goes, if I have told you earthly things and you don't understand, how will you know heavenly things? So the point here, what he's trying to say here is, there is no greater thing to be than to be baptized. Because the baptism transforms you into being in Christ. And that's why it was our birthday. It makes sense. So when we submerge into the waters... We submerge as what? Our old man, right? Before we, put on, before we put on Christ. Before we go into the newness of life. We put on corruption, brokenness, tarnish, disfigurement, disability, whatever it is that we have mentally and spiritually gets washed in that water. And then what happens when we rise with Christ? We ascend in incorruption, healed, polished, reborn, but here's the thing. It's not just in that moment. When does baptism occur after that moment? Every single moment of your life. We get to be born again all the time. It's in every aspect of our lives, in every moment. And the moment we don't believe that we rise in Christ, that's the moment where we have doubt, where we have anxiety, stress, worry. It's the belief that we will not resurrect in Christ. And remember, our faith is based on the resurrection, not on the crucifixion. We do not live in the crucifixion. We move on into the resurrection. 
And that's what baptism reminds us of. Every single day of every single moment of every single sin of our lives, we're resurrected into the waters, from the waters. Okay? And we submerged as orphans, which he says several times in the paraclete chapters. And we what? We rise as adopted into the royal divine family. That's impressive. So the loneliness, feeling that you are not a part of anything, before you were even born, you were thought of and adopted into the greatest family ever, before the foundations of the earth. That's why it says, for us, you can't see it up here. Oh, okay, good. Let's see the next one. Okay, I'll just say it. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God, us. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Why is he saying again to fear? Because in the first fear is when Adam and Eve hid from God. They opened up Pandora's box. They opened up the possibility of fear. Fear did not exist before. But now they fall into fear. But you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And I really hope this works. Yes, good. This is important. And then we get confirmation. When Christ rose from his baptism, what did God the Father say? You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Who is he saying this to? Does Christ need to be baptized? Does God the Father need to give confirmation to the Son? No. Who is God the Father saying this to? Who is you? That's you, and that's you, and that's you, and that's every single person in this room. You is us, and we know this because he says it right here. really hope it comes up. I'll just say it. All right, so it says it at the bottom here. It says, do you not know that as many of us, who's us? All of us, humanity. As we're baptized into Christ Jesus, we're baptized into his death. So when we're baptized, we are dying with Christ. Therefore, we, all of us, were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we, all of us, humanity, also should walk in newness of life. So when he resurrects from his baptism, all of us resurrect. So when God the Father tells his son, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, he's telling that to you. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. You are my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. And what is he pleased with? What have we done we're babies, we're infants. What is he pleased with? That you're my child. Identity. I'm pleased because I have you. Because you're my child. And he pleased in what? Where do we see pleased? Good pleasure of his will. That's being pleased. It's the good pleasure of his will. So we are already accepted, and he is already pleased with us before we even take a breath. 
that decides to pop up. And then uh, we read in Galatians, um, verses uh, chapter 4, 6 through 7. The first verse, it says, because you are sons, now we, now we know our identity, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. What do you notice in this passage? I wish you can see it. Maybe I can trick it. No. All right. What are you going to notice? He's reminding us of when we were created. He's saying the same thing. Because we fell, he's giving us that reassurance of you are going back to the original creation. He's giving us the trinity. He's reminding us that we have the essence of the trinity. Because it says, because you are the sons, God has sent forth the spirit. What spirit? God the spirit. Of his son, God the Son, into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, God the Father. What does he say in the creation? Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. We see the Trinity. And he's giving it, he's reminding us of it again. And where do we see the Trinity? We see it in us. God the Father, what's God the Father? What is God the Father known for? What do, we, what, what do we consider God the Father? Wisdom, the mind of God. That's our what? Rational mind. He gave us his mind, for you have the mind of Christ. Um, what is God the Spirit? Baptism, we just talked about that. We received the Holy Spirit. It's activated. And then, what's God the Son? Image and likeness. We look like Christ. Did Christ come first or did we come first? Christ came before mankind. So why do we physically look like Christ? Because that's the image of Christ. We have his image. We look like him. And I heard this um, analogy from an Eastern Orthodox priest I still remember, that every time we speak, we're reminded of the Trinity. For when we speak, there's three parts. The first one is we need to think about what we're going to say. That's God the Father. He gave us thought, mindset. And then when we speak, we have to use our vocal cords and physical mouths. That's humanity. That's what? God the Son. And then we have to breathe it out. God the Holy Spirit. So every time you speak, it's a reminder of the Holy Trinity that you are a part of in that family. And then the second one, oh, came up. The second one, Galatians 4, 7. So 4, 6 is on the left, 4, 7 is on the right. They're connected. It says, therefore, you are no longer a slave. Now he's saying, so in 4, 6, he tells you who you are, and now he's saying who you are not. You are no longer a slave. Why are you no longer a slave? Who took on being a slave for us? It says Philippians 2, 7. What does it say? Made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. Christ became a slave for us. And it literally translates to slave, bondservant in Greek. But a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And then this last part, through Christ. Why does it have to go through Christ? And this is important for, for our youth to understand this. Why does it have to go through Christ? Why can't he just make us the children of God without Christ? Why does it have to go through Christ? Because there's two 
there's two possibilities of being a son. And when I say son, I mean children. It's all of us, not just males. Okay? There's being adopted, and then there's the natural child. What's the difference between the two? The natural child achieves everything from the father by nature, born into it. Right? That's your biological father. You are born into that family. That's Christ. Christ in his nature is God. He's the natural child. But then there's the adopted child. And the adopted child achieves everything from the father by grace, which is humanity, us. So the question is, how do we get adopted? Through the natural child. That's why it states, it states, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son, right? Which is the natural child into our hearts, adopted children by grace. So we are adopted into the royal family, into the divine family by grace through Christ. And then the last part, we cry out, Abba, Father. Anyone know what Abba means? In Hebrew, Abba. Abba is a term uh, that was very endearing, very beloved. When uh, little Jewish children used to welcome their parents in the morning, that was their way of saying Papa or Daddy. So it's very endearing. So why is Christ saying we cry out Abba, Father? And look at the hands being raised. So when we say our Father and we raise our hands to accept the grace of God, it's a gift that we're receiving. It's like giving our dad a big hug. It's literally saying, instead of our kids saying, hey, what's up, dad? What's going on? And then just walks out the room. No, excuse me. Come back and greet me the proper way. Okay? How different does a parent feel when you walk into the door after work and they go, daddy's home. And they run and they give you a big hug over, over your leg. and says, I love you, daddy. I missed you. Where were you? Very different than, hey, what's up, dad? What's going on? Right? That's why we, we raise our hands on our knees saying, our father who art in heaven. Daddy, I love you. Love you, Papa. That's giving our dad a big hug. It's just the reverence. It's the love that we're showing. And it's the same thing for our child. We can tell when our child is showing that love. Right? We're going to skip this one because I need the visual for this. So we're going to just skip that one. Uh, this one's kind of important. It'll come up. So here we have um, Mona Lisa. Uh, now I want you to look at this Mona Lisa masterpiece portrait. And does anyone know how much it's worth currently? It keeps going up in value. It's the most expensive artwork in the world. Anyone know how much the Mona Lisa is valued at right now, currently? One billion dollars. That is its value. Last year, or no, 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 two years ago, it was at 880 million. It's gone up. <laughs> okay? It's at 1 billion. But the question I have for you is why is it a masterpiece? Why is the Mona Lisa masterpiece? What makes it a masterpiece by definition? Can it be recreated? What do you think? 
by the original artist. Now it can't. Okay? Um, it can't be duplicated. It's an original. Right? The only way you're going to get another one of those is you bring back Leonardo. Right? All right. Or was it Michelangelo? It's one of them. One of the turtles. Okay. Now, now, when we look at the Mona Lisa and we look at this masterpiece, I want us to represent that this masterpiece is us, humanity. And what happens if this masterpiece gets distorted? Gets distorted. Okay. What can the original artist do to restore it? There's only three options. The original artist, the, port, uh, the, the painter, could do one of three things. He or she can discard the masterpiece. No more humanity. I'm done with you. Kind of like what Abun Andrew says. I'm done with you. Okay? In other words, okay, because we fell, we had one commandment, we couldn't follow through, he can discard humanity. I'm done with you guys. You didn't listen. Forget it. But he can't do that. Why can't he do that? Because it goes against his nature. What is his nature? Unchanging. Can he go from loving us to discarding us? That's changing his nature. That's not who God is. So that's not an option. Second option. I could throw it away and start over. I can recreate a new humanity. What does that tell us? That he made a mistake. That he made a mistake. Does God make mistakes? No, he's perfect. Right? He can't start over. Because that means the first one he did wasn't good. And he said it was very good when he created mankind. So what's the third option? Which is the most difficult and sacrificial option. And that is bring back the original artist, the creator of the painting, and he has to restore it. That's incarnation. He has to come back. And could he have used anybody else but Christ to restore that painting? We say it in the St. Gregory Liturgy, and I love listening to this part during, uh, during Advent and Lent. It says, neither an angel nor an archangel nor a patriarch nor a prophet did you entrust with our salvation. Why not? Why does it have to be Christ? Why not an angel nor an archangel? Why not them? Because they don't have the image of God. They're not human. Why not a patriarch nor a prophet? They were sinful. We all sin. So it could only be a being that had the image of God, human, and a sinless God. Who's perfect humanity and divinity? God plus human, the anointed one, the Messiah. It has to be Christ. Right? St. Athanasio says, the word of God came in his own person because it was he alone, the image of the Father, who could recreate man made after his image. So Christ is the only one who fully restored us back to our original form, Christ is restoration. That's what he does. He creates what he does. 
he created us, uh, he created mankind. He, he had the creation narrative at the beginning. And every time we fall, he recreates us. Brings us back to restoration. So the question now is, we still sin. So every time we fall to sin, does that mean we get distorted again? Like this image. No, there's a big difference. This distortion was abolished. How was it abolished? When Christ already abolished Adam's distortion of death, mortality, by defeating death, immortality. So we don't get disfigured, we get what? We get dirty, we get filthy. So what it is like, it's like throwing, if we look at this Mona Lisa, what happens if we throw dirt at the Mona Lisa? Does the masterpiece change from behind that dirt? No. It gets what? Covered. It gets dirty. So every time we sin, we're just what? Dirting the image. Okay? So we're just covering our identity, our image, with dirt, sin. So every time we sin, our image gets hidden. However, the identity within us always remains clean regardless of how dirty it gets. Our identity is unchangeable. I'll say that again. Our identity is unchangeable. We're still masterpieces. We're still the child of God regardless of how much dirt we throw at the Mona Lisa. It's still the Mona Lisa. Okay? And then... What do we read in Psalm 50? We read something. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Wash me and I shall be made whiter than snow. What do, why are we saying wash me or cleanse me? That means there's something to wash. There's something to clean. That's our identity. We are washing and cleansing ourselves to bring back the restoration of our full identity, to see it, to bring out that light. Okay? And then how do we wash ourselves with the stains of sin? Confession. And you see the importance of the sacraments of the church. Baptism puts on Christ. Confession helps us to clean off those stains. Okay? So the sacrament of the church, what is what gives us restoration and what ties us to the events of Christ now, who is restoration. And then, I'm gonna have to skip this one too. You can see how poetic our divine father is. This is what he has to say about his masterpiece. And you can read it for yourself, I don't need to go over them. But I'll read one of them that I like. For you, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. Look how poetic he talks about us. This is my children. Look how proud I am. I talk about them. I love them. He's very poetic with us. Okay. But the most stunning for me, the most poetic, if it comes up, is when he created us. And you're going to notice in the creation account, when he comes to man, the creation is very different. And I'm just going to read it. Oh, it came up. Good. 
says, heaven came to be without deliberation. Deliberation here is consulting with the Trinity concerning heaven. The stars came to be. Didn't talk about it. Let them be. Let them appear. And there was no deliberation beforehand about the stars, sea, and boundless ocean. By a command, they were brought into being. Fish and all kinds were ordered to come into being. Wild beasts and domestic animals, swimming and flying creatures. He spoke and they came to be. But here's where it changes. Look what happens when mankind comes. He takes his time with this creation. Here, the human being does not yet exist. And there is deliberation concerning the human. He did not say, as with the others, let there be a human being. He doesn't say that. Let them appear. No. Learn well your own dignity. That's from St. Basil. It says, he did not cast forth your, your origin by a commandment, but there was counsel in God to consider how to bring the dignified living creature into life. Let us make Trinity. He takes his time with us. And remember what I talked about with um, Philippians 2.7. He says, and made himself of no reputation. What does no reputation mean in Greek? It translates to emptying himself. What did Christ empty himself of? And this is important. In the incarnation, what did he empty himself of? Of his own divine dignity. He emptied himself of divine dignity and who, he gave it to who? He gave it to us. He became humanity so that we may become divine. He emptied himself of divine dignity so he can give the dignified creature his masterpiece everlasting life. And then we'll end with this. St. Athanasios of Alexandria says, he became what we are so that he might make us what he is. He became sin for us so that we may become sinless. He became a slave for us so that we may become free. He defeated mortality for us so that we may become immortal. He defeated death for us so that we may live. He became humanity so that we may become divine. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Uh, any questions? Now, now the slides work. It's perfect timing. <laughs> I don't think I don't we I don't think we can answer this, but it's something I've thought about quite a bit, and it's the idea that we were created before we were created, right? We were already predestined. Predestined. So, in God's eyes, the God the Father, how did He perceive us when we sinned? How did He perceive us after after Christ? was resurrected, and how would he perceive us after baptism? Because all those were necessary. It wasn't just enough that, you know, we were created. It wasn't enough that Christ came and redeemed us, and now it's not enough that we are baptized. So, like, where, where is, I mean, we're always, we've been accepted before we, were, we took a breath. So how do we reconcile that in our minds that, all these other things are so necessary in order for us to, to uh, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I mean, I, I think of grace, but 
that's really hard, like the before, during, and after. That's, uh, I, I, I think only God could answer that or if anyone yeah. else can, but. It's just something I thought about. Yeah. I don't think we can answer Yeah, that. I don't think we can. But I just think all of that is grace. There's, like, if I try to rational, like, what would I do or how would I put these beings into existence, like, we would come so, we would, we would fall so short. Like, there's nothing that, but grace from God that I don't understand it even now. Like, why? Why all this for us? It's just, it's unfathomable for me. It's just trying to understand what he perceives. Yeah. What is, what is the perception of us yep. as his creation? After, after we've sinned, after, we, after, he, after resurrection and after baptism, like, some of us aren't baptized. Does that mean we're no longer his children? Or we're not mm. his children until we're baptized? It's, yeah. it's like, well, what is necessary and what is not? Yeah, and I think the baptism I've heard from one, uh, I've heard from uh, uh, an abuna um, that he said that baptism doesn't necessarily have to be at that, at that point just a sacrament. It could be while the person is dying for Christ, that becomes the baptism. Or when those like two-year-olds, two and, a, a, two and, uh, right, two-year-olds and under were all killed for the name of Christ because they were looking for the Messiah, right? They're, to me, that, that, that blood sacrifice became their, their baptism, or, right? Or tears. Exactly, or their tears, exactly. Or I, it could even maybe even be a thought, right? The idea that at this moment, I'm dying for Christ. That could be the baptism, yeah. right? The, the on, the left, on, the right. on the right, exactly. And he, he confirmed it. You will be with me. It's not a question if he made it. He made it. How did he make it if we didn't see his actual baptism? Oh, Ashraf, you can give him the mic. That was a great question, Michael. It's such a, uh, a beautiful perception or a beautiful question. To, uh, putting aside the baptism question, but how does God see us? I think building on what you said, Henry, he only sees the Son. He only sees Christ. And that was before our creation, during our creation, and after our creation. Even Scripture says that we are, we are conformed to the image of His Son. And uh, I remember reading from um, Anthony Bloom uh, a, a nice meditation on the, the phrase that Henry mentioned in Genesis 1, let us make man. Uh, and there was that counsel between within the life of the Trinity. And so Father Bloom was uh, sort of riffing on that and saying, what was that conversation like between the Father and the Son? And he was going on saying that the Father says, before we do anything, we know this is going to happen. We know creation is going to fall. And yet, we still, should we still endow them with a will to reject us? Yes, Father, we should. Why? Because I will bring them back to you. Because I will restore them, and I will show them the love. This is all a conversation between Father and the Son. I'll show them the same love you showed me, and I'll bring them back to you, and they'll become one with us as I am one with you, and that's from John 17, of course. So I, I like the question so much, how does God see us even, even before we were made? Yeah. He sees only his, his Son, and we become in Him, just like uh, you pointed out in Ephesians 1, that we were chosen 
from before the foundation of the world in him. And so the more we become human the way God wants us to, the more we become the son. Sort of paradoxically, that's the case. So I, I don't know, I just wanted yeah. to share that with you. That was such a beautiful question. It triggered that thought. No, thank you, Ashraf. That was wonderful. Any other questions? Oh, uh, Joe has one. If we can move the mic. No. There's a nice verse in Proverbs that I wanted to, that just came to mind. <clears throat> I, I'm trying to find it, but it's it's wisdom is saying, "I was created before the foundations of the world, and when God when God created mankind, I delighted in mankind mm -hmm. from the beginning." And so this this I always like see wisdom as being Christ the wisdom of God, God, the word incarnate. And so when I see that wisdom delighted in mankind, of course, the, there was the knowledge that what was going to happen with mankind in the fall, but the, the delight is still there and the love is still there. And also another thought I had, I don't know if, if this is helpful or not, but when you have a, when you have a child and your, and your baby is utterly helpless, they're going to the bathroom on themselves, they're causing a mess everywhere, they can't do anything for themselves, nothing at all. And yet you still have this love towards them that if we could do that as human beings, how much more does God see us like that when, when we are utterly helpless and when we are dirty, filthy, soiled in sin and corruption and evil, whatever we do, he still sees us as, you're still my child. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clean you up. I'm going to help you out. We're going to make this work because I love you and I always will love you. And that's what I got also from your talk. Thank you. Thank you. That was beautiful, Joe. Thank you. It's beautiful. Oh, is there anyone else? All right, let's pray. Through the intercessions of ever-Virgin Theotokos, Mother of God, Saint Mary, Archangel Michael, Saint John the Baptist, Saint John the Beloved, Saint Peter, Saint Paul, and all your prophets and saints who have pleased you since the beginning, hear us when paid with all thanksgiving. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thy is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, amen.